And welcome to Two Marks and a Mic podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Joe. Thanks uh, for sticking with us after the long absence, folks. I was on vacation and... What we do? Life. Life, yeah. What life can is, you do? Yeah, we keep exactly. rolling. Keep rolling with the punches. So today we're going to talk about the 1996 King of the Ring. We feel it's a very pivotal point in the King of the Ring era of WWE. Um, I feel, and I think Joe can agree, that it's the most important King of the Ring. I definitely agree. Because we have the birth of 316, and it was the, the launching point for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, I agree. I think that also, they this pay-per-view needed it. When King of the Ring kind of first started, it was it was like a thing to be almost not almost like an honorary title, in a sense, to be King King of the Ring. And they, they played it in their character, like Owen did. But I think at this point, it was just kind of like, we had to do another pay-per-view. Well, I think that it was a, a good stepping stone. I not agree. Not too unlike the Intercontinental title. Not more of a stepping stone than, than the IC strap. This was the time shortly after the curtain call incident. Mm-hmm. This King of the Ring was supposed to be Hunter winning it, but he was in his punishment for the curtain call. So this is where they put Steve in. He got the shot to go up, and he didn't look back with it, and here we are. Yeah, so, and I agree with that as far as that caliber of talent that holds IC straps was for the more or less the caliber of talent in the King of the Ring tournament bracket every year. So exactly. I, that's definitely true. Well, I think that you have your, you know, you had your Owen Hart's, your Bret Hart's, your Shawn Michaels. Yeah. I don't, Shawn Michaels never won a King of the Ring because he just never did. He didn't but need to. He didn't need to, exactly. So, But I just think it was a good launching platform for some talent, for for, you know, for the ones that they, that they wanted to push uh, strongly. And on the other hand, it kind of gave talent that's been around something to do. You know, exactly. we need to plug him in somewhere. Well, yeah, what well, Jake the Snake here, for example. I yeah. mean, this was his, uh, this was one of his big returns to the company. You know, he was trying to get sober and he found religion at this point and it didn't really pan out so well for him. But God bless him. He's sober and clean now and we're happy about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully he lives a, a very long, productive life. I know he has. He's been doing his thing with DDP. Right, exactly. And, well, I started watching the Broken Skull Sessions. Mm-hmm. And they brought him up. They brought DDP or Jake? Jake. Okay. Actually, no, I take that back. I, I, I lied. It wasn't Broken Skull Sessions. It was Hot Ones. Okay, with yeah, Stone yeah, Cold yeah. Steve Austin. They asked him, what was the strangest warm-up routine you've ever seen? And Austin was like, Jake the Snake. He's like, well, what did he do? He goes, his warm-up routine was to smoke a cigarette, <laughs> yeah. put it out on his shoe, and walk to the ring. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, that... Sounds par for the course. It does. For that back then, Jake. Yeah, that back then, Jake. And that is... And that, to me, is quintessential Jake Snick. And I remember rooting for Jake in this. I, I Honestly, I mean, I wasn't... At that point, Austin was kind of trying to get away from the whole... Uh, ringmaster gimmick and was kind of coming into his own. He was just kind of lost in the sauce, I think, up until that 316 interview. So I was actually kind of pulling for Jake and it wasn't short after that I was fully pulling for Austin with everything else in life. Right. Well, I think he was, he had just started going by Stone Cold. Yeah. And I believe it was Michael Hayes who came up with that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Michael Hayes. Was it Pritchard? For Stone Cold part? Yeah. No, that was his wife. Because they had, at the time, his his wife was English. He was trying to think of a name. He said it a thousand times that the the company gave him all these ridiculous temperature-related names. But he was sitting at home. It was home on a couple days off, and his wife had made him a cup of tea. Oh, she said it was Stone Cold. And and she said, uh, drink your tea before it gets Stone Cold. Uh, And he's like, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I never knew that. Yeah. So it was a very interesting because they had they had names like Ice Dagger and just <laughs> terrible cheesy B yeah. horror movie names, you know. Yep. So, anyways, back to the the actual King of the Ring this year. Uh, we're uh, the first matchup is 
Wild Man Mark Merrow versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Actually, Steve did get injured in this. He got kicked in the face and had to have, had to leave the arena and go get his face stitched up, his bottom lip. Well, it, was, it was upper lip or bottom. I, don't remember, I remember him having. I remember him being stitched up going into the to, main to, event. Yeah, you know? or the yeah, and then you had. But it was this match when it happened. Yeah, this is the first match because thankfully enough it was because he wouldn't have had time to go get it taken care of if he hadn't. Mark, he was going for one. I forget what the move is called, but it's where they're behind their opponent and they jump and hook their feet and they roll them up. I, I don't oh yeah, it's that. almost like a yeah, it's like a flying Dutch boy maybe or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you want to call it, but. So, I guess when Merrill went to do it, he caught him in the face, and Austin, being the consummate professional, kept it going. This match is actually pretty good. It doesn't go very long because it's just the first match. They have a bunch of other matches to get to, such as Jerry the King Lawler versus Ultimate Warrior. Oh, what a barn burner. When I went back and did the research for this for this episode, uh, it wasn't a terrible match, you know, because Lawler carried him the whole time. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll delve into Ultimate Warrior another time. Sure. I feel that, you know, like I said, this being the most pivotal King of the Ring because of the launch of the Austin era. Yep. Um, if it wasn't for him cutting that promo with the Austin 316 said, I just whipped your A-double crooked letter. You know, attitude error. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Huge it, catapult. Yeah, it was. The match with Miro and Austin is goes about 17 minutes. It's a, it's a decent match. It's an athletic match. Good, yeah, good opening bout for the card. We had, um, I think Mark Merrill was a very, I don't want to say he was underrated, but I don't think he got the credit that he deserved. I no. think he was his own worst enemy in a lot of ways. And at this point in his life, I know he's changed a lot. Yeah, now. he had a lot of demons back then. Yeah, he did. You know, I think he had a lot of unresolved issues in his life and that he got it taken care of. And that's the important thing that he's still here. But uh, he was a very athletic guy, very gifted guy. Not many guys back then could do the shooting star press like he could. Sure. So, I enjoyed Marrow. Um, I, you know, I liked the push he got in WWE. I liked his character gimmick a lot better than Johnny B. Good in WCW, and kind of put him on a little like Little Richard almost sense. And it's, I mean, because he had a great move list, yeah. great move set, I should say. Mm-hmm. And you know, and he was charismatic. He can, he was good on the mic. So, and to quote Jr., his biggest enemy was probably what, what was between his ears. Absolutely. But unfortunately, when you hear like Jr. and those guys talk about it, you hear him saying that the main reason he got hired was because of Sable. Which, at that point with WWE and the direction they were going, I don't think is a far-fetched thing. No, I don't either. Thing, I, you know? uh, yeah, I don't either. I, I think you're trying to draw to that demographic of the 14 to 38 or whatever yeah, at males, that time. You know? Yeah, it's males, oh, yeah. right? So you got to have got to have something to look at. I, yeah. I, you know, me being a... I don't want to say I don't want to sound like a wrestling snob here, but you know I was uh, I was there to watch the wrestling. Agreed. Yeah, I didn't mind them as far as the valet manager aspect when they were doing the gimmick like, oh gosh, dumb stuff like the pudding wrestling matches and the gravy matches like for Survivor Series and mm-hmm. evening gown matches. I didn't buy into any of that, but no. you know, and they called the divas back then. They're superstars now. But I just think they were just trying to find a place for them because there wasn't one, right. at least in WWE at that time. So, anyways, back to the action in the ring. Here we got you know Stone Cold and, and Mark Merrow are still they're still doing their thing for another little bit, and then but back to the King of the Ring in itself. I I don't I was never a huge fan of the tournament the, the mm-hmm. tournament style kind of thing, you know. But I guess you kind of have to have that for this particular type of event. I agreed. I wasn't a big fan of tournament pay per views, like even WrestleMania four. I, you know, it was a cool concept and stuff, but I just, a long over drawn out thing. I do like how they started doing preliminary matches 
on Raws and going. So you go right into the semifinals, and then it led some wiggle room for talent to be free for other matches on the pay per view. Right, exactly. Like I think this. I don't know if they ever did a, a one and done night where it was a whole the entirety of the tournament. Right. I don't know if that was a case or not. With that being said, I agree. I, th- I think having some of the qualifying matches and a couple and some other things on Raw is an excellent move because it. Because I mean, if you if you did it, you know, if you did the whole the whole tournament in one night on pay per view, you're gonna have a four or five hour pay per view. And back uh, in the '90s on a Sunday, that's night, a lot when it's not a WrestleMania. Yeah, exactly. On a Sunday, exactly. On a, su- yeah, on a Sunday night when people got work or school the next day, it's it's kind of hard to keep people yeah. involved and keep their interest peaked. I do agree. And as a whole, the tournament style or for, or for this thing worked well because I mean, like I said, I think it was a great launching pad for a number of talents. You know, I think this year was Austin. The next year was Hunter and they only did 10. It was a 10 year run and that was it. Mm. So this is almost done at this point. No, right. No, no, they're like three or four years into it. So they're almost halfway done. And side note, it's kind of funny that we just happened to be coming back on this King of the Ring episode because, like I said, you and I do not watch any present-day WWE. I know I watch more than you, and that's only for pay-per-views when I'm around. But they just did their Crown Jewel pay-per-view, and it was revolved around King of the Ring where Xavier Woods just won. Right. So they do kind of still pose like a homage to it with those type of like overseas stuff. Right. But as far as, you're right, it was only about a 10-year span here in the States. Right. Has that Crown Jewel ever been a good pay-per-view? I don't know. You know, it's kind of funny. I remember in, in uh, Undertaker's last ride, he was saying how terrible his match was on that. And I watched it. I didn't mind it. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. Well, there was one big problem with that match. Yeah. Goldberg. Yeah, it's true. 1,000%. I mean, what I was... Um, as, like I, as I mentioned earlier, we, I started watching the um, Broken Skull Sessions, which, guys, I highly recommend you Absolutely. check that out. It is a fantastic series. It's Second best podcast behind two marks and a mic. Damn right. <laughs> um, one of my favorite uh, episodes was the one with Bret Hart. Bret Hart was not a fan of Goldberg because of what happened in WCW with their match. And he said so before the match happened, he goes, Bill, just don't hurt me. Yep. Because Bill, I guess, had a, had a bit of a notorious streak for hurting me. Oh, yeah. And it, as self-evident in that Crown Jewel match with Undertaker where he almost broke his effing neck. Yeah. You know? And I think that's what they do with those overseas pay-per-views because they can just, like, you know, they give the fans what they want to see. We can put if, these big names that they usually won't see, you know, over they, there. You exactly. Know? But I, I did like how they did that. But back to the King of the Ring. I know we're jumping all over the place. We have, yeah. we have a lot of pent-up stuff, folks. It's yeah, been, no, it's, it's been weeks. It's been weeks, man. It's been weeks. Ooh, double X off the top for Mark Merrow onto the lovely head of Stone Cold. And this was, I mean, for uh, usually the opening matches, they want, like, a heater match. But this was good because it kind of set the tone for the tournament where it wasn't uh, a quick match. They were kind of dragging it out. They were playing it off where they were really kind of beating on each other. And Mm -hmm. so whoever went on to the next round, you know, after this match, regardless at this time, we obviously don't know. Uh, they would be able to play off of how beat up they were from the first match to right. kind of add to Which story. Which is what they did in, in the Jake the Snake with Vader. Because after Jake beats Vader by DQ, he gives him the Vader bomb a couple times and he's got busted up ribs. And so that, and then, of course, Austin takes advantage of that and beats him with a Stone Cold Stunner. Which I don't even think it was called the Stone Cold Stunner then, was it? Actually, I heard that just in the qualifying one, I think the, uh, it wasn't part of the pay-per-view, he was fighting Savio Vega. He, the first time he went out, he told Savio, and he's like, you know, I want to try this thing or whatever. And Savio let it do it on him. And then I believe it was McMahon or JR, whoever was commentating there, and they said, we believe this is, he calls this the Stone Cold Stunner because he's trying to get away. But he was still using the Million Dollar Dream at that point, too. But the first time was against Savio Vega, like, just before this, like, right. on a Raw. 
But, you know, all in the whole, I think, you know, it, it was a good pay-per-view. It really helped. You know, it, it filled the gap between Mania and SummerSlam. Uh, yeah, I 100% was about to say that. Yeah. It was a very good, it gave us uh, something to look forward to in the summer. Because they were, at the time, they were doing In Your Houses. Uh, but even they weren't like an every month thing. They were here and there. And it was just right. kind of, you were still coming off of that four pay-per-view a year mm-hmm. situation that, you know, WWF at the time was doing. So I, it was cool. It gave you one more thing, pay-per-view wrestling-wise, to watch in the summer besides right. SummerSlam. The Attitude Era was, to me, the best. Because sure. the, the, the PG Era, fine, I haven't watched much of it. Because to me, it's just not, it's it doesn't joke. have that guttural feel joke. to it. Yeah. It doesn't, I believe there can be a fine line between what's on now and what was happening back then. Because obviously, 95% of the stuff back then wouldn't fly these days. And I believe they're trying to go back that way. And they kind of said they're being a little more edgier or whatever, but I don't well, know. Rumor has it they, they want to do another Attitude Era, but I'm afraid that it's going to be a very watered down version of itself. It really depends who's in charge, you know. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's Vince, if it's somebody else, it depends on how it works. I think it could work again. Will it? Will it ever be what it once was? Absolutely not. Yeah. Because you don't have your Stone Colds, you don't have your DXs, you don't have, you know, you just don't have those people anymore. But what would be good is you still have the mind of Triple H, who was a pivotal point in that right. Attitude Era. So I think if they kind of, I think if they kind of let. Vince kind of watch. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he still has a grip and control and everything that happens there. But I also tend to believe that the older he gets, the more kind of control it gets towards the McMahon-Helmsley side mm-hmm. of things. And I think if they want to try to play off that, I think they have a better shot of it being quasi-successful in the mind of Triple H if he... Because he's kind of already kind of doing that with NXT. Well, then I really watch NXT, but it just seems to be a little more grittier. Funny story. One of these kids that opens the door here, at some point, is Matt Hardy. Because he's uh, one of the jesters. I think it's when Ahmed Johnson comes out. Yeah. They did a lot of that stuff. Right. A lot. Of, I know that um, there was a few times where they were, when Macho King used to come down, and then he'd be one of the ones. And I think he was, they used to carry Mabel down, too, when he yeah, was King yeah. Mabel. Uh, one thing. of them was Jeff Hardy. You saw him. He's like, he's like wincing. And- kind of funny when you see things like that. Um, there's a lot of where the, back when they were, quote, jobbers, a uh, little fun fact where CM Punk was randomly on the John Cena entrance back in... In Chicago. Yeah. Right? WrestleMania 23. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And now we're on to Vader versus Jake the Snake Roberts. This is going to be a tremendous barn burner. A quick match. Yeah, it ends in a DQ of Vader and Jake the Snake will advance on. Yeah, a match that wasn't really burned in our brain for this pay-per-view, but definitely set up the story for the injuries to Jake Roberts. Right, so now you have the Intercontinental Championship match between Goldust and Ahmed Johnson. Then after that, we have... The Smoking Guns and That's right. uh, versus the Godwins, and you have uh, Ultimate Warrior versus Jerry Lawler, Mankind versus The Undertaker. Decent matches, and I think they were good to fill up the card because uh, I think on paper, with the exception of Austin and Roberts, there really wasn't much of uh, superstars in the King of the Ring that you could really build a pay-per-view around. Anytime you have Undertaker and Mankind on a card, it's going to be a good match. And it was a good match. Because th- that rivalry that those guys had, you and I have touched on it in the past, mm-hmm. it was it was an amazing program with those two. And one thing that was really great about when Dustin Reynolds portrays Goldust, especially during that era, he was such a great heel 
because everybody who was a wrestling fan probably hated Goldust. I know I did. And you're like, well, why is this weirdo here? Like, you know, right. it always would root against him. And he was so good at playing that weird role or that role to like just take it over the top and unnecessary advances towards his, you well, know, opponents. In this time frame, in life, in culture, it wasn't as accepted as it is today. Sure. So any type of homoerotic uh, actions were not greeted with uh, open arms. Absolutely. So it like it was a psychology thing on his part. It worked very well when he had his angle with Razor Ramon. Because mm. you, know, you got the machismo and all that stuff, and he got this guy who could be one way or not, yep. doesn't, doesn't actually say it. It was very cutting-edge stuff. It was very innovative on Vince McMahon's part or ever who the writers at this time, Pritchard and those guys. I, I like the character. He, he did a very good job. Uh, you hated him instantly, and it wasn't because of that. It was because of he just he, did, he was weird. He wasn't your normal superstar. Yeah, He was very much a completely different Quite opposite. Yeah. Quite opposite. You know, you take a look at the time who was a top guy here at this time. Shawn Michaels, right? Mm-hmm. Complete opposite. I'm, and not ju- I mean, not not so much in wrestling ability. Dustin is a great worker. But in character, angle, you know, stuff like that is just polar opposite. And I think there's probably nobody else who could have pulled that gimmick off. I think anybody else who would have tried to do that persona or say, okay, this is what we kind of have in mind. Now do your own thing with it as they did. I don't. It would have failed miserably. I think with anybody else. I think the main reason it worked was because I don't want to say that he took that particular role to piss off his dad, Dusty Rhodes. I, but I think it gave him a chance to stretch his own wings and to be his own person. When you're the son of one of the greatest of all time, it's kind of hard to get underneath that shadow. And then you know, and because they look so much alike, he's going to get compared. Oh yeah. So he's like, I got to do something different and. Bam, Goldust was incredibly different. I think it was a very edgy character. I think it was a great character. I didn't even put two and two together back in the day at that time because the only time I remember Dustin having any sort of camera time or push storyline in WWF days before he went to WCW was back when they had the rivalry with the Million Dollar Man and Virgil at Royal Rumble 91, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. That was the only time Dustin was there. Yeah. Uh, and then that was kind of it. He was in WCW and whatever. No, no, and do you mean back. Dustin or Dusty? Dustin. Okay. Dustin oh, Rhodes. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he, was, he was tag team. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and they went against Virgil, Million Dollar Man. I think we're right. at Rumble 91. Okay, you're right. I do remember that now. But that was it. That was like the only time I remember seeing Dustin Rhodes back then. And he, you know? he wore the same garb as dad did the cowboy boots, yeah. the trunks, the leather vest, the bandana around yep, the neck. Yep. I just think that I think the character was fantastic. And I'm not trying to speak ill of Dusty Rhodes at all, but I think the reason why his son got so much heat from that from his father was because the character was his own and he was able to get over and still get out of get out from underneath the huge shadow of his father. Very well could be the case. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like I said I don't follow AEW, but I don't know how Cody's doing in that, you know what I mean? I don't think oh, he's awesome, but I mean I haven't watched AEW in a while either, which I should because there's a lot of guys i like over there now but is is is, is he like a, a showrunner there he's the owner and when he first started out he would be in like championship matches but he would always put the other guy over it was then when they first did the tnt championship like he won it but he only held it for not even a month or two and then he gave it to darby allen who's a younger wrestler coming up and whatever so um He's still very active in it, but he, he doesn't make himself the spotlight by any means. Okay, that's cool. I just, like, yeah, well, it's hard, too, because with now AEW, 
is on uh, you know TNT and TNT they haven't had a steady schedule TV schedule in a couple months and I think that's kind of it's throwing me off at least right I mean I'll, I'll check it out eventually maybe if they ever get their own streaming service or something like that. so but uh, so this match is done Vader got DQ'd and now we're gonna move on to let me look at my notes. Smoking Guns versus the Godwin for the WWE Tag Team Titles. I always liked the the Smoking Guns. Um, very good tag team. I just think Billy happened to have a little bit more personality than Bart. He sold the sizzle. He did. Yeah. And you know, and you know, his his move is just a, basically a three foot vertical leap into a leg drop. Mm-hmm. The Famouser. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a beautiful move. And I think this is also towards the tail end of I think the Smoking Guns as a tag team, like when Sonny was their manager mm-hmm. and. She had all you know her little thing with Billy and yada yada yada. Uh, when they first came in, um, I like the Smoking Guns as a tag team in the sense where I'm a big sucker or Mark for better terms for a a, ta- a good tag team gimmick. Demolition, Heart Foundation. To me, though, that's good tag team gimmicks. Right. Godwin's okay. It's a stretch, but it's still a tag team gimmick. They have some common. So I really like the Smoking Guns and and. I enjoyed them as a tag team. Yeah. I, you know, I enjoyed them too. I think the Godwins were a good tag team. You had just had two big smash mouth guys, especially um, Henry Godwin. He just, he just a rough and tumble Southern dude who would clean your clock. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, and Dennis Knight, he did, you know, he did a fantastic job as Phineas. And I liked Henry Godwin was able to also handle himself in the singles roles too. Absolutely, great, great feud he had with Hunter. Um, you know, I remember the the, the, the big slot the hog match, pit match yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah, and apparently, according to Hunter, that was actual pig excrement. I just figured they could kayfay some mud or something like that. But and you know, his back got opened up when when they did that in that match. You know, it's a different pay per view. Sorry, that's life. Yeah. Um, he did an Irish whip into the gate. And it cut his back, and then he did a back body drop into the pig poo. And I'm like, oh, that's an infection. <laughs> this is just a great era all, all in all. 90s to the 2000s, I think. But so as far as the, the the tag team situation goes, people some people say it was abysmal back in this time. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. It was still it wasn't so much developing as it was just in a maybe a slump period. Tag teams were getting the bigger pushes were kind of in the late 80s going into the 90s. We're kind of fizzling out mm-hmm. and they had to rebrand the tag team division and it was i think in a very rebuilding phase you know it's like anything else it becomes stale after a while you have to be able to to reinvent the wheel it's i mean that's why i don't really envy vince that much sure i mean people are like oh my god i'd love to have all that money but you know how he's earned that money by having to constantly think of stuff yeah and then you know and it's not oh it's not just him the, the wwe is a huge machine and it's you know, but back in the day this time frame it was him and a few other people. Mm-hmm. I think you had JR was the uh, president or a vice president of talent relations. Bruce Pritchard was an executive producer, I think, or something. I'm probably wrong on that. I think we, this was before Russo, though. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. because it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, um, Russo, he turned his crap into Jerry Springer as yeah. soon as he got there. And that's exactly what he said he wanted to do. Yeah, you know? that's what was big at the time. Yeah, and I mean, it just, you know, uh, at this point, um, with Jerry Springer and stuff like that, there's enough trash television. We don't need any more. Mm. So, and I mean, you know, you know, you already had your scandally stuff with like Sonny and whatever she did in the back. Or I don't who care. She did. Yeah, who or what or where or how. Yeah. It's none of our business. Don't really care. Um, 
only time I care is like like I said previously is that we just care about what happens in between the ropes. So oh, this is when they brought in Cloudy. I never forgot that she's like oh, a gosh. That was some scary stuff, dude. I mean, and not just because she was allegedly transgendered, but because she was just it was just bad acting. That was just a weird tag team back then too with. Oh, the body gone is, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that was Pritchard's brother, um, Dr. Tom Pritchard, I think. And then it was Chris Candino. And then, you know, I, I don't know if him and Sonny were still married in real life at this time or not. Uh, Chris Candino goes back to ECW shortly after, like, 97, I think. Mm. Uh, we're just waiting for the match to get started here. We're doing all the preliminary jaw jabbing, as they always do. We're going to speed this up here just a minute. And we can actually get it going. Although it was, there was that that time where they had the where she would drop the big poster of herself, you know, because uh-huh. whatever. It's just it's just a, a way to get heat. And uh, they dropped the poster, and somebody had like gave her a mustache and yeah. stuff. It's hilarious. It's, it's, it's just good humor. Yeah, and I just you know it's not to go back on on ballets or whatever, but I think at this time Sable was just kind of there. There was other valets who were just there. Sonny was kind of more active in the matches, not as active as Sherry Martel, right? Where she would kind of like and maybe every once in a while would kind of contribute towards like a screw job ending. I appreciate. What she was able to do with Smokey Guns, a manager, even LOD 2000, you know, it was, could have been worse. You can only work with what you got. And at that time, you know, it's hard to to find the, the right chemistry with people. Wrestling, it may look simplistic. It may look easy to do, but it's not. It's a very complex, psychologically based art form. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? How am I doing this? And what is the purpose of doing this? I thought Sonny was going to bring in that purpose as a manager, you know. Right. Good distraction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it appeals to the 14-year-old demographic. That's right. I did meet Sonny, by the way, side note. Oh, you did? Danbury, Connecticut. Yep, she's very nice, very lovely. I bet she is. She seems like a lovely lady. All right, so this match is about to come to an end with uh, the Godwins and the Guns. The Guns are going to win this match and they retain their titles. So next is going to be the barn burner of the Ultimate Warrior versus Jerry the King Lawler. So basically, it's just uh, Lawler out there having a match with a broom. Yeah. Because, let's face it, as much as I, I don't discredit the Ultimate Warrior, but you know, as an athlete or whatever. But let's face it, his work in the ring, other than WrestleMania six with Hogan. Black Luster, man. Yeah, it was Luster. the same match little, for 25 years. A little too moondoggy yeah. for my liking. You yeah. Know, like he drank a little bit of yeah. little Drano with his fruit punch or whatever. Yeah. You know, talking about astrucity and stuff. Out there. Yeah, out there. So then after that, we have um, a really good match of Mankind and Undertaker. Of course, it's going to be a classic Taker match with Mankind. This is, this is when he first started like getting super aggressive with Mankind. You yeah. can kind of see how he started doing those punches where it was you know in, in the corner, those very fast, very hard punches. And then this, I think in this match, he jumps off the top rope onto Mankind after a blackout. Mm. Which is super cool, and he because he had never done that before. And then uh, we go to well, and and one thing too is with mankind and Taker, that was just one of those rivalries. And I know we can go down a rabbit hole with this, but that was also one of the rivalries where I can I can watch their matches. Or, they can keep every pay per view, put yeah. those two, yeah, and I they, bought it. You know, it wasn't like seeing back Cena and Orton every pay per view for right. two years. Because you know, you this had- was. Taker, and he's on my rush more for sure. And then you got Mankind or Mick Foley would or always have a good match. So, and then um, we have, next we have Ahmed Johnson versus Goldust. Uh, Ahmed Johnson wins the IC strap. Yeah, and I think, yeah, exactly. Because during that time, I feel like the IC strap was either on Ahmed 
it was either on Goldust or Mark Marrow. Like those or, three, I always seem to. Or Hunter, I think. Yeah, Hunter held it quite a bit too back then. Right. So it was kind of the same cycle of guys was was getting the IC strap. And the next match is the Stone Cold Steve Austin Jake Roberts uh, qualify or final match for the King of the Ring. This is a very pivotal match in Stone Cold's career. As we touched on it earlier on, uh, it was where he coined the phrase Austin three sixteen. That's what started the uh, the Austin era. I think, personally. I agree, and I believe it was the match that really kind of jump-started and, and making a pivotal point in Austin's career. I know we say that word a lot this this episode, but I mean, aside from his I Quit match with Brett. Yeah, I think that was where he got, because this was before that. Oh, way before that. Yeah, this, this like was, a year, yeah. it was like about 11 or 12, or 11, 10 months before that. This is before he really started his heel a stone cold. Uh, yeah, and then in that match, that was a double turn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but that's a whole other episode. Yep. What we can't forget here is that all of this was supposed to be Hunter. Yeah. But back, like I said at the beginning of the episode, the curtain call incident, he got punished because two dudes left. One guy was a champ. He was he was basically a little man on the totem pole at the time. But he, you know, he came back with a vengeance the next year, and we got one of the you know one of the greater wrestlers. Of an, of an era. Yeah, say what you want about him. That, that could be a whole separate spotlight episode, but right. I have no beef with Triple H. I, no. I respect everything he's done. Yeah, he's. I think he's been a consummate worker, a consummate professional. Uh, who he's married to doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't in, really in our matter. eyes. So, and then the last match on the card is Shawn Michaels, British Bulldog. They, they go for 26 minutes. It's, it's a typical, it's a good Shawn Michaels match. I think with him, you could put anybody in front of him and he'll have a good match because he just... Now, was that for the strap? Yeah, it was. And Mr. Perfect was a special enforcer. Uh, so it was basically trying to screw Sean out of the title. But this is where he has Davy Boy in a figure four, and he gets Owen in a small package at the same time. It's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, well, which is funny because when you think about this King of the Ring, and even when we talked about making this an episode, anytime I ever think of King of the Ring, my mind automatically goes to not any of the matches, but the speech at the end with Doc Hendricks. Yeah. Because that just. The birth of Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah. was such a huge thing. It really was. The next night on Raw, it was a sea of Austin 316. Yeah. Or one of his many catchphrases. All in all, I think that the the King of the Ring was a great thing. It was it was a nice little filler in between pay-per-views. I don't want to say filler because that's, that's not a fair assessment. Because it, it does... It's oh, just, I'd call it a filler. Well, yeah... I mean, now they do fillers. I yeah. Would call every, yeah. I mean, I, I think everything back back in this time time frame had had its purpose. It just shows you into the mind events of how he wanted to progress the business, and how he wanted to give more to the fans. Ten years, it's fair. It's enough time, and you move on. It's, yeah. It's definitely not a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam or a Survivor Series. It get like I said, it completed the task of getting a pay per view in the summer, one more before SummerSlam. It completed the task of getting exposure to these wrestlers, giving them a storyline mm-hmm. that they can build off of going to a SummerSlam. And, I mean, gee, it just catapults the era of, of Attitude Era. So I really think that this was probably the last decent King of the Ring. Like, Triple uh, H was bound to win it but at the, the following year, but still, I, I mean, as far... Have, yeah, you got Mabel and stuff. It's yeah. At that point, it's, it's... Very forgettable. Yeah, and it's very Hindenburg at that point because it's mm-hmm. going down and you know it's time to quit. Yep. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this particular episode. Yeah, so thank you for being patient with us. Yeah, thanks for everybody. You know, we've had some some people ask us, you know, what's going on? You guys are going to upload and what's going on? So it's good to know that people are out there listening. So keep it up. Yeah, We're going to keep it up. it up as long as we can. Yep. Till next time, I'm Phil. And I'm Joe. Take it easy. <laughs>